Remember to go back and listen to episode 43, where Carl gives us his tips and tricks in the search for savings in transportation. This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put sexy into supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick. Are you looking for short-term storage solutions? Do you have empty warehouse space you would like to fill? SecureSkids is your Airbnb for warehousing, connecting vacant warehouse space with companies that need space for their products. Visit them at secureskids.com for more information and to sign up for free. That's S-E-C-U-R-E-S-K-I-D-S.com. Welcome back to all our Two Babes listeners. Thank you for all the love and support you are showing us by reviewing the show on iTunes and subscribing to us on Google Play, Stitcher, and and iTunes. Today, we are talking about how you can save millions and reduce your carbon footprint in choosing the right packaging with Matt White from Billarude Corsnas. Matt spent his 15-year career partnering with major North American and European brands to develop and execute global packaging solutions that deliver multi-million dollar supply chain saving savings initiatives. There are often major inefficiencies in the interaction between packaging and product that have a negative impact on the end-to-end supply chain. Repairing these inefficiencies allows companies to unlock freight savings, drive material cost reduction, and reduce their carbon footprint. Away from the office, Matt spends his time volunteering in youth sports and is passionate about animal welfare. Welcome to the show, Matt. We are so excited to have you here and even more excited to talk about something not many people give a lot of thought to, but could drastically change their business. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I appreciate uh, you giving me this opportunity. Absolutely. So why don't we get started and you tell us a little bit about Billarude Corsnas. Well, first of all, uh, congrats on the pronunciation. So you're one in one in a hundred that actually pronounce it the right way and usually it gets uh, shortened down to BK after the first attempt. So uh, good work. So Matt, I have, to, I have to tell you, I called into your office last week and I spoke to the receptionist. She must have thought I was crazy because I said, can you just pronounce your company name for me? <laughs> And she did, and we've got it right ever since. <laughs> nice. So usually that's kind of the lead. It's like, I'll give you your, your shot, and then we'll pronounce it once, and then we'll just agree to move on. So the company prefers to use the full name. I think most of the people that we work with in North America, they, they short it on their own, and they usually tell us, you know, hey, we use BK around here now. So, um, But uh, it's Swedish origin. Um, it is a multi-billion dollar paper company. Uh, and, it, and, and the product is, is 100% virgin fiber um, produced in Scandinavia. Um, and they, the, the company produces uh, some of the most premium uh, packaging materials from a, from a paper standpoint in the world and focused on um, sack solutions for cement, um, uh, some of the strongest corrugated packaging materials in the world, uh, a major supplier of liquid carton board. Um, they have developed some formable paper packaging. 
And the, the company, although it's paper, it, it, it turned its eye on a small company and acquired, acquired that company about three or four years ago. That's the group that I work in, which is called Managed Packaging. And we have similar values to Billeroo Coarseness in the, in the sense that we, we look at how to, to use packaging to d- drive supply chain efficiency uh, through the better and smarter use of materials. And, and continuing to try and challenge the conventional uh, when it comes to packaging. So uh, my group, as you said, works with major North American and European brands to take a look uh, into how they're using packaging and how product and packaging integrate and to, to determine whether, where there's inefficiency. And it can be as simple as the product doesn't fit right, uh, or it can be complex and you're getting into the science of paper materials and, and leveraging the, you know, PhDs in paper physics and chemical engineering that, that BK has uh, in our labs. So that's who we are as a company. Excellent. Matt, the next question we got for you is, can you give us the basics of packaging? Yeah, you know, I think that there's two, two ways to look at packaging, and there's, you know, really two types of packaging. On one hand, there's packaging that is a marketing tool to deliver a brand message um, and it intended to influence consumer decision-making. And that's not really, from my perspective, what, what, what it affects the supply chain, although it can when you talk about uh, online retail. Uh, and then the other part of uh, packaging is, uh, is that it's a vehicle to move product through the supply chain successfully and delivering that product to the end user without defect. And, and that, to me, is where the opportunity is today and where people are missing out because, you know, as you guys say on your show, you're bringing sexy back to the supply chain. Packaging is not sexy, and it's not viewed as strategic in most cases. Uh, but it can drop serious dollars uh, when, you, when you think about the effect it has because if you, if you affect packaging or you make a change uh, where it first starts at the, at the product factory, where a product is produced, it, it has a ripple effect if it's either positive or negative at every touch point in the supply chain all the way down to the consumer. And so you're talking about exponential impact when you make a positive, positive decision or whether you make a negative decision. And that is what makes it sexy. Just so you know, Matt. <laughs> no, I think it's sexy. <laughs> awesome. So this actually relates to the previous question I just answered. What are the top four challenges organizations face when it comes to packaging? You know, I think, uh, you know, I would say there's probably, you know, there's an unlimited number of things. But I would say there's five key things that make it difficult for organizations to, to deal with packaging. Uh, one, as I mentioned previously, it's, not, it's, it's perceived as a low-impact item, that it doesn't, if I make a, a, a change to my packaging because it's viewed as a cost, uh, if I change my packaging, my pa- packaging costs me a million dollars a year. If I negotiate well, I save 5 or 10%, that's only $100,000. And when you're talking about multi-billion-dollar companies, you know, excessive of $50 million, that's not much. So it's perceived as low impact, which means there's a low motivation to change. Companies who do perceive it as uh, strategic 
often don't have enough resources or the right sources, resources internally or expertise to affect change. Uh, execution is low. So this is number three. Execution is low. We, we deal specifically in, in product produced in, in, uh, in Asia or China and Southeast Asia. Um, so, so there's a disconnect between packaging decisions and the cost of those decisions, because it's an indirect spend, it's usually acquired with the product, and specifications are given, but it's not managed directly. Uh, there's also organizational politics associated with making a packaging change. So we're talking about supply chain. So if I, if I look at packaging as a strategic um, way to drive cost out of my supply chain or efficiency into my supply chain, the impact of that decision actually hits home with sourcing or procurement, and the, the, the benefits are not always falling to the organization or the part of the organization that has to deal with the change and the pain associated with that change. Yeah, that's interesting because we were actually talking about the decisions lying with procurement with um, Carl from Georgia College um, last week. So this is sort of, you know, a good segue, or that was sort of a good segue into this segment, because a lot of times with supply chain, the decisions for whether it's transportation or, like you said, packaging and things like that are with procurement. But then you've got, you know, the supply chain specialists or the, you know, the management team, the supply chain management team that takes a look at it in a different way than procurement does and looks at it more strategically. And, and you know, procurement looks at it more as like, you know, dollars and cents. And so you've got a real disconnect when it comes to certain things within the supply chain being able to be, um, you know, changed and managed and, and become more efficient, more cost effective. Yeah, you wouldn't believe the, the number of times where <laughs> you're literally offering a company a suitcase of money and, and because, uh, because the bucket where that money is coming from uh, is disconnected uh, to, to the people who have to manage it, the program gets stalled. And, and I'm not talking about you know $50,000 or $100,000. I'm talking about multiple millions of dollars in measurable. And that's the, that's the thing. When you, when you make a change to how your packaging and product interact, you can actually measure that savings. So it's not, it's not something that you're wishing for or hoping for. You know it's there, and it still gets derailed or delayed because uh, the people who have to make that change uh, aren't motivated by it. Right, right. So, so or, incented, or incented by it. Right. So that so, kind of leads us into the next part. You know, what are the top opportunities that companies have in spending the time and looking at packaging as a cost saver? Yeah. So, you know, packaging has a huge effect on, on a lot of different areas and, and they can be all inclusive or, uh, or independent. So, you know, you have return to, return to vendor or product damage you know, that's been, you know, quoted. It, it's, it's a different number for every organization, but that can be up to five times the cost when you have products show up at retail or at a, cons uh, a consumer that, uh, that is damaged and in the process of returning that product back to where it can came from or disposing of it. Um, you have end-to-end -end, uh, supply chain value, and that's from, 
making a change that increases product density. Now I'm putting more more units in a container. I'm handling less units uh, at a consolidation facility. I'm handling fewer units inside my distribution center. I'm moving more dense product from my DC out to retail. Uh, there's less packaging waste in that system. Um, it can be as simple as lighter weight when you're talking about product shipped via air, and we can talk about you know a case uh, where that where that 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 drives big dollars here in a little bit. Um, and then just simply from packaging cost reduction, if you are being smarter about how you use packaging and and thinking about it in a little bit different way, even if the raw material, so the the packaging material being used costs more from a whether it's square meter basis or uh, you know just the the weight of the raw material in packaging, but you're using it smarter so you're using less, you're actually saving money in your packaging spend if you control it. So there's kind of four different categories where you can dip into the bucket, which is why it makes it difficult to go after because companies aren't really equipped in a lot of cases to understand the complexity of each one of those. Right, right. Well, there's already a lot to to handle when it comes to supply chain. Like, it's such a broad subject like you and I were kind of talking about earlier. So you talked about the suitcases of money, and then you talked about the air freight kind of example. Can you take us through an example or project you've worked on? You know, what was the problem? What was the solution? Where and how much were the savings? And how much difference did it make in their carbon footprint? Okay. Um, so, uh, if we have time, I'll try and touch on a couple different ones that are, that are very unique. So the, the, the first example is, is as you mentioned, the, the air freight opportunity. So, uh, the situation was, uh, a large consumer electronics manufacturer, uh, moving a significant amount of product via air consistently. And that consistent movement via air is important, um, because then you can start building your packaging system for that. Uh, transportation mode. Um, there's a lot of companies that move via air by by default, uh, but this was a predictable situation. Um, it's important that the product was shipping via actual weight, not dimensional weight, which means that lighter weight, higher performing packaging actually drives costs down. Um, and, and and this company had had uh, begun the investigation of, of the opportunity you know, year, years ago, and it identified it as an opportunity, but had not been able to execute it because they were relying on bad information from their factories in Asia. And that's what happens a lot of times is companies, even when they're sophisticated, and this group is very sophisticated, didn't have the right information. And so they couldn't act on what they knew was an opportunity. So we got involved uh, in a very short period of time. We brought the opportunity to reality. Um, at the time, from a, from a weight perspective, just to quantify this, uh, two to three grams in the components of the product was a big deal to this company. And we were talking 20 times that just in packaging weight reduction. And I'm not talking the internal components of the packaging, just the box. And, and so what did that mean? Uh, well, I guess, I guess I'll get to the goal. So the goal of the project was to reduce weight without compromising performance. That led us to a conversation about what, what performance they were specking for their packaging. And this is a common, this is a common issue because 
Uh, again, we're talking about Asia, but in Asia, packaging quality is low, specifically related to corrugated. And so you, if you use U.S. Or, or North American or European terminology for Asia, and you use that as your baseline, you kind of fall into over-specifying the packaging requirements, and you get a lot of weight in your packaging because in Asia, the quality is low, so you need to throw more material at it. And so um, uh, the challenge uh, was get, overcoming that specification because, again, they were sophisticated clients. Um, getting them to kind of understand that you can look at things a little bit different way. Um, and, uh, and the result was um, we delivered a lighter structure that was about 20% lighter. Again, I, as I said, it was, you know, 20 times uh, what, they, what they looked for in component weight reduction from the box. Uh, there was no uh, change to key identified performance characteristics or there was no real material change to the per- performance characteristics that they had set and agreed to. Uh, the worst case scenario on the packaging cost was it was cost neutral. Um, and actually, in today's world of packaging in China, uh, at least for the paper markets, it's skyrocketed, so we're actually lower cost raw material. Um, we were able to reduce about 2,500 tons of fiber from the supply chain. Wow. And from a sustainability perspective, that's huge. Amazing. Consistent with a zero deforestation policy for this, for this brand by 2020. So what we were putting in, while all, our material and virgin fiber, which is, you know, uh, a, a emotional word, virgin fiber is an emotional word for a lot of people in, in paper packaging, uh, it's all from sustainability managed for, forests, so it's consistent with that with that company's view. And from a sustainability perspective, again, if you look at the CO2 per kilogram of weight in air freight, you're talking approximately 10,000 tons of CO2 removed from the supply chain. So those are all the sustainability benefits, and you usually have to pay more. Well, this is dropping you know, two to four million dollars in air freight cost reduction annually. Wow. So that's where the suitcase of money comes in. Like that's where yeah. the millions of dollars of savings. And it's not just, you know, one component. It's in several different areas. Well this is this is straight, you know, this this the the, the two to four million dollars and I know it's a broad number, but it depends on how much is shipped. Um it it, 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 that's the air freight. You know, when you look at past, uh, packaging material cost reduction, that's that's to be determined. It's there, but it's to be determined because you have this uh, complex network of, of suppliers in Asia and how do you negotiate that down, and that's a procurement decision. But again, disconnected from where the, where the big time savings is, which is air freight. So yeah, it's in a lot of different areas. The question is, who does that matter to the most and who's Who's willing to make the decision for their company that we're going to disrupt how the organization does business today to be better in the future? So do you have another example that you wanted to share with us? Yeah, yeah. The other example is not air freight because air freight is pretty specific uh, from, a, from a client basis. If you're shipping via air and you, you're consistent, then you can go there. Uh, the other one is we, 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 uh, we work in a lot of different product categories. So we work in heavy industrial, we work in consumer electronics, we work in apparel, we work in footwear. Uh, we got our start in apparel and footwear. 
we worked with um, a brand a few years ago, actually several years ago, in the apparel in the apparel industry that had moved their production from the United States to Asia when everyone else did, but they didn't think about how that impact affected how they moved product. And so they were shipping in uh, packaging dimensions that fit U.S. trucking. And, and, and they just they didn't consider that that had an effect on, 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 on how they ship inbound. And they left most of the decision-making up to their factories in Asia, partially because large apparel brands, they have hundreds or thousands of factories. And they don't even necessarily know all those factories. So they have to have a loose level of control over their packaging requirements. So we went in, we, we built a, a, a packaging suite. We looked at hundreds of items as far as how that product could be shipped from a dimensional perspective. Apparel soft, so you can, you can manipulate it to some extent in how you fit the product into the system. Uh, it delivered... Tens of millions of dollars in savings in the first year of, of implementation. That was derived from inbound uh, shipping, from operations within the distribution center. So it allowed them to build uh, distribution systems that are automated and are focused on specific carton sizes. Uh, so the level of automation increased. Uh, it also allowed them, by, by increasing the packaging material strength, it allowed them to move product inbound into their distribution system and then reuse up to 70% of those cartons outbound to retail. And if, you, if, you've, if you've been in the logistics business for a long time, you've, we've all seen the boxes from Asia that you can almost put your finger through. So reuse outbound has not historically been an op, op, option for companies. And when you do that, then you're talking one-to-one cost reduction on whatever your packaging spend in the U.S. or Canada or Europe is, which, generally speaking, is higher cost in Asia anyway. Excellent. Next, I'm sorry, Matt, the next question, holy jumping, I'm a tongue twister here. Um, Could you take us through the process of how companies would decide to look at their packaging and how to get to the end result? You know, uh, here's the the thing. there, there's a really wide spectrum in the, type, in, in the resources that companies have you know, internally to look at packaging. More often than not, they don't have packaging dedicated people. They have supply chain people or procurement people that are managing a spend and not packaging specific people. Unless you're in the retail consumer electronics world and then you have packaging people focused on the product, you know, Viewing, viewing retail packaging as product, and that's a lot of the times where the focus lies, I would say take a look internally, see if you can find some low-hanging fruit, and, and that's, that can be as simple as going to your distribution center and opening up, opening up boxes and looking inside and saying, hey, is this, does this look efficient to me? Is this how I would do it? Um, and if you say, no, this isn't how I would do it, then you need to reach out to some professional organizations and or your internal group to say, what, what resources do we need to investigate this, this problem? If you were coming to our company, we would go in uh, at no charge to vet the opportunity um, and say, uh, what's this opportunity look like? What is the impact on supply chain density inbound from a freight perspective? 
what opportunities are there for reuse and or efficiency in the D.C., and then come back and say, hey, this, this opportunity is not, not necessarily worth the, the amount of time that you would spend, or hey, there's a lot of money here, and it's worth building a budget. And it's usually not a budget of money. It's usually a budget of time. So individuals' time to spend gathering data and, and, and approaching it that way. More often than not, it's better, I find in these days, to go to external resources that are experts in their field. Absolutely. Well, that's kind of the way to go these days, too, because, you know, with like we talked about, you know, with such broad, you know, spectrum of the supply chain, you can't be knowledgeable in everything. Um, and there's companies that are specifically knowledgeable in those situations and, and uh, those specific things like like packaging. So, um we talked about packaging, you know, helping on the transportation side, you know, from supplier. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the packaging going from DC to retailer. Now, I believe there's some, you know, branding opportunities. Is that sort of on the transportation from the shipper end or is that, you know, also on the DC to retailer end? And is this sort of a missed opportunity for brands? You know, I think it's, again, where you're moving into a different um, business unit in an organization, which just adds, adds to the level of com- complexity. So, uh, and, and when you're talking about packaging from a marketing perspective, you know, traditional opportunity to, to drive supply chain density doesn't really apply. So basically what you're getting into is, uh, do, do, am I delivering a, a product in a package that's facing my consumer that uh, reinforces what I'm trying to tell them as far as my brand's value, uh, what my what my brand believes in. Um, is it diminishing my brand? And if you're dealing with with you know answering no to the question of is this is this what I'm all about? Does this tell my story? Then you got to take a look at it. And then and then the question becomes, why is this not the way that I want it to be? You know, no one, no one designs packaging and says, you know what, this is about halfway to where I want it to be, but we're going to launch it anyways. This doesn't re- really tell my story, but we're going to launch it anyways, and we're going to put it out to the consumer. What usually happens is they build packaging, and then they lose control because it's left up to be sourced again by the product factories who aren't connected to the cost of it. And so the materials aren't what was expected the execution isn't what was expected, and you end up with failure in the distribution system, damage when it gets into retail. It still goes on the shelf. Consumers don't buy it. It ends up, you know, you know, on the on the uh, on the second shelf, or it's going into the second tier of retail. Um, that doesn't matter as much when you're talking about direct to consumer. And, uh, you know, and, and, and in that world, you're talking about, you know, Amazon and online retail and the massive amount of uh, packaging that's flowing through that system. And Amazon talks about their frustration-free packaging, uh, which, which is all about uh, minimizing your packaging, still delivering your message, ready to ship when it gets into their distribution center, minimizing the, uh, the error in a shipment. We've all received product from uh, Amazon or some other online retail that was, you know, 10 times larger than the product itself. But that, that's because their system isn't built to handle uh, um, 
retail packaging in the same in the same way that that a lot of a lot of uh, brands are when it comes into their DC. They're thinking about it in a different way, and so that brings up the question of merchandising rules. As product moves from on shelf to viewed online, do the traditional merchandising rules apply? I was just at a conference uh, this past week at Sustainable Brands, and Amazon did a um, you know a presentation on what does product look like side by side online, and it, and regardless of the size of the package. If it's in a white category, it all looks the same. There's no differentiation by size. So those merchandising rules that this product is larger, so I charge more for it, it doesn't apply, and you can really reduce the footprint of your product. You can reduce the amount of money that you spend on your packaging. The complexity is now you have a split stream. You have packaging that is lower cost, uh, more efficient, more environmentally friendly, that is going direct to consumer still reinforcing your brand in the way you want, but different, and then going to retail, uh, and, and you're making your system more complex. And so it's a hard thing for companies to swallow. Well, absolutely. But you said it so well. I mean, there's there's a few different things to consider, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can make it more efficient. So we're going to get into the future here. So where do you see packaging in the next five to 10 years? And what do you think the challenges might be? Matt, before you even answer this, I'm going to give you a hint. Drone. <laughs> you know, I was watching a commercial today, or or maybe it wasn't even a commercial, maybe it was just the news, but they were showing uh, a guy flew his drone to a Kentucky Fried Chicken through the drive through with his order attached and money and placed an order uh, at the window and then, and then received his to-go order via his drone and flew it back to himself and and it is uh, it is chicken in a park, so uh, awesome. you know the world's a changing, right? Um, I I think you you hit the nail on the head in in that it's not it's not packaging material. There's always going to be innovation in packaging material. It's it's the delivery systems that packaging are put packaging is put through to get product to the consumer, and it comes from it comes from Amazon. It comes from you know those drone deliveries. It comes from the merchandising rules changing. I mean, you can talk about wheat straw packaging or bamboo packaging or mushroom packaging. Um, those are innovations that require a lot of capital investment. I think it's just taking a different view at your supply chain and looking at things a little bit harder because it doesn't have to be innovative in the sense of major research and development and major dollars invested to, to drive a lot of efficiency and sustainability. And I'll say this. Um, before we wrap up, I think the future of packaging is now because as labor costs increase throughout the world, uh, product cost cost is increasing, raw materials are increasing, and what was something that you never thought about because it didn't matter because if my product got damaged, I just go to the next one that's not damaged because it was so low cost. Now it means something and so what's the last frontier to really uh, find massive opportunity to save real dollars and drop it straight to the bottom line? And honestly, I think it's, I think it's packaging, and, and I think it's related to the supply chain um, because it's been, it's been something that's overlooked, been overlooked for so long. And so eventually this will become an efficient system, 
and we'll have to look for the next thing. But right now, the future is now. Well said. Well said. I, I really like that, uh, what you just said about how it's, you know, the future is right now. So let's kind of wrap up the interview. And why don't you tell us what's next for Billarood Coarseness? You know, I, I think um, what's next for us is what's next for the clients that we work with. Um, we, we're, we're constantly trying to help our clients take their innovative ideas and their creative ideas and make sure they're executed properly. And so we're, we're leading from a, from a corporate perspective and a materials perspective. We're leading from a materials innovation as much as you can for an old school paper industry. Um, but again, we're, we're trying to be where our brands need us to be uh, when they need us to be there. Um, and we're going to continue to try and challenge conventional thinking, conventional packaging, conventional ways of doing things and just deliver smarter packaging solutions that, that drive dollars. I love it. I love it. Well, if anybody wants more information on the company, you can visit their website at B-I-L-L-E-R-U-D-K-O-R-S-N-A-S.com. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Matt. So much great information for all of our listeners. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And hopefully uh, together... We can, uh, you know, reduce our carbon footprints and, uh, you know, be a little bit more sustainable. We need to be. Absolutely. Thanks again, Matt. Thanks so much. Are you struggling to make the most out of your supply chain and keep your orders moving efficiently? IceCorp is your supply chain specialist, and they specialize in e-commerce, retail, and drop ship distribution. They will provide you with tailor-made solutions that will drive your business and sales forward. Get your free assessment. Visit them at icecorplogistics.com. Check out their learning center as they have some great free resources waiting for you. What is your packaging doing for you? Is it causing you damage and or loss of space? Something to consider as we take a look into your supply chain for savings. Next week, it's all about stress. As supply chain professionals, we are wearing a lot of hats and live day to day in environments that can be fun, challenging, but also very stressful. We are joined by Dr. Callum Cowan, of the Phenom Clinic to give us some key tips and tricks to manage stress. This episode was produced by Mike Mazurik. Thanks for listening and subscribing to our show. We're your hosts, Nick and Sarah, and just remember folks, ship happens.